Good morning. Hey, Mom, I heard that. Love, would love to give a, a quick shout-out to Bryant, who's doing sound for the first time. And that was awesome. Just one quick little hey, and we're, we're rocking and rolling. Oh, so, good morning, everybody. My name's Val, if I haven't met you before. I'm pumped to be up here. I feel like I was just up here, and I'm happy to be back. So, thanks for having me again. So... I love Advent and the season of Advent. I'm wearing my Advent purple to go with our candles today. And I really like the way that we've been approaching Advent as a church this, this year. I was able to join the Tuesday night uh, protagonist study this past Tuesday. I've been enjoying the, the daily wake up from Seedbed, which is going through this protagonist study. And I've really appreciated taking the time to rethink and reframe this season from one that can be really busy, busy, busy to one that has a little bit more pause and intentionality. The Advent series that we're in the midst of right now is called Protagonist. You just saw the cool video. And it has been a chance for us as a church to pause and consider how the capital A author of the world wrote himself into the story of humanity. And if you haven't joined the Seedbed Daily Wake Up or bought the protagonist book or come on a Tuesday night, I highly recommend doing one or all of those things for the rest of this Advent season. You can go back and read if you get the book, or you can go back and listen to the podcast. Each day is like a page or two in the book, and each podcast is like four to five minutes, maybe six, maybe six with the intro. So you can, you can catch up if you haven't started yet. I highly recommend. Or you don't even have to catch up. You can just jump in today, right now. And so within this protagonist study and series that we're in, today's sermon title is A Story Only God Could Write. And we're going to be taking a look at a section of Isaiah that will be coming in the protagonist study this week. Buckle up. So before I read the, the passage, I just want to say that I have loved this time that we've spent in Isaiah as a church. I know we're technically done with our Isaiah series, um, but I was not disappointed to spend another week getting to know this book a little bit more. And hopefully everybody else feels the same. We just can't get enough of Isaiah, right? So I'll read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll, we'll see what, what we have. All right, here we go. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice because before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. 
For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So there's a lot of good stuff in this passage. I feel like this is what happens every time we read scripture. There's like so much we could talk about, and we're just going to talk about a few of the things because I'm on the clock. So one of the things that I've really loved about diving into Isaiah in particular in the last series as well as today is that, I guess this is just true of scripture, but for me, it's been experienced in Isaiah. Um, But there are often little nuggets or Easter eggs that are embedded in the text. And it's usually some sort of reference to a place or a story that the people reading or hearing the scripture would recognize. So this time we have a little nugget that's hidden in verse four of these verses uh, from Isaiah, which even as I was reading it, I was like, there's something good here. I couldn't wait to tell you about (laughs) the nugget in verse four. So we see a reference to a place called Midian. And this reference is one that would be very familiar to anyone hearing or reading Isaiah for the first time in in its original context. And it's a reference that might be more lost on us now. So verse 4 says that refers to the day of Midian's defeat. And the listeners or the readers here would be reminded of an important story from further back in the Old Testament in the book of Judges, in chapter 6 and 7. So the people who are hearing this and reading this are quite familiar. We get the chance to get familiar and take a look at it together. Something that's fun for me is that last fall, we had our Matriarchs of the Faith series, which rocked. And I got to teach about Deborah, who was in Judges as well. And she's in Judges chapters 4 and 5, Deborah is. And the story that we're talking about today is in Judges chapter 6 and 7. So that is so cool and such a fun connection from last year to here. Here we are. So let's understand a little bit about the day of Midian's defeat and why it's important that it's embedded in this Isaiah section. Instead of reading all of Judges 6 and 7, those full two chapters to you, I'll just summarize and I'll encourage you to read it yourself if you want to read an exciting battle story or if you're interested in history, there is some good stuff in there if that is what you're interested in. Highly recommend. So at the start of Judges 6, we learn that the Israelites were being oppressed by a group of people in Midian called the Midianites. 
And after seven years of constant invasion and devastation and oppression, the Israelites call on God for help. After they've made this call, an angel of the Lord appears to a man named Gideon and calls him a mighty warrior, telling Gideon that he will lead the people into victory over the Midianites in, in Midian. Gideon, Midian. Gideon eventually does everything he needs throughout all of chapter 6 and 7, does everything he needs to prepare an army. And instead of the large, powerful army that we may expect, God asks Gideon to dismiss most of the men that he's gathered. God says, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me by saying my own strength has saved me. God makes sure that it is a small group taking on this enemy. So Gideon and his now 300-person army go into battle, and they bring with them a battle plan involving blowing their trumpets and smashing clay pots and yelling to their enemies and in the end, the Midianites are defeated. Thrilling story. That was two whole chapters in like two whole sentences. So check it out. So why would Isaiah mention this story in the midst of this section of scripture talking about walking in the darkness and seeing a great light? And for unto us a child is born. I think it's included here because it reminds people of a story that only God could have written. A large theme of the Gideon narrative, maybe the, the major theme of the Gideon narrative, is that the only way the Israelites overcame Midian was because God was with them and they followed God's direction. When we think of this prophecy in Isaiah, it's pointing us now and the original readers then to another situation that God could have, that only God could have orchestrated. That God in all of God's glory and power decided to become a human and come down to earth as a baby. So this nugget connecting us to judges, is tucked away amidst this beautiful and exciting language of what's to come with the entry of the Messiah. So let's take another look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And let's bring with us this little bit that we know now about Midian and Gideon and God's unexpected ways of working. I'll read it again. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I love reading that again and thinking about all of the expectations that may have been on how God would save his people. People may have been looking for another Gideon, a mighty warrior, or they may have been looking for someone with a lot of power or force. And instead, God shows up as a baby. To us, a child is born. A baby who grows up and becomes what it says in verse 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. My hope in the rest of this Advent season is that we can consider how God is writing our own stories. Like the quick mention of Midian in Isaiah 9, maybe there are little nuggets of things happening in our lives now that call us back to other moments where God has shown up. Times when, like Gideon, we've had to conquer large enemies. We can use this season of Advent, enter this season of Advent, to pause and consider parts of our own stories that only God could have written, like, God's, like Gideon's triumph over Midian. For me, when I lived in Minnesota, I felt like that whole experience was a story only God could have written. Before I even graduated college, I said, I will not move somewhere far from home, and I will not move somewhere cold. And I did both of those things, and that was crazy. It was really cold. It was really far from home. It was dark. It was hard. And it was a really challenging couple of years for me. What ended up being really special about that time for me was the wonderful people that I was able to meet, that Eddie and I were able to meet. The relationships that we built there really transformed our experience living in Minnesota. And now, I mean, we haven't lived there in four years, and I still have little nuggets in my life now that remind me of that time and of how I was able to enjoy and survive it. And some of those nuggets are texts and phone calls and visits with those friends that I made when I was living there. Even now that I'm back in North Carolina, I still am able to have that connection to that part of my life. 
And those connections remind me of the story that God was writing for me then and the story that God is writing for me now. Last week, in our first Sunday of Advent, Joel encouraged us to enter Advent expectant, but without expectations on God. We live in a world full of expectations. We have expectations about what growing up will be like, about what education will be like. We have expectations about what kinds of jobs we'll have. We have expectations on our relationships and how our families will grow. We have expectations on how we will look as we age. We have expectations everywhere we turn. So the challenge to be open this Advent without expectations is a really hard challenge. (laughs) And I've been thinking about that this week and, and reflecting on what that could really look like. And a few examples from my life and from others that I have seen and heard this past week are having expectations to just get home on the commute after work, but instead noticing nature's beauty and taking an extra moment to appreciate it, or expecting to be worn out after a stressful week, but then getting some really good night's sleep and feeling restored, expecting to head into the semester with things as they are, just going about our business, but then starting new friendships or deepening already existing relationships that help us feel refreshed. Maybe expecting to read our Bibles and see the same things that we've seen before, but then hearing or reading scripture that stirs in your heart in a new way. This might happen to you if you tune into the daily wake-up call or read the protagonist study. Maybe we're expecting any other church experience and we end up finding community at Love Chapel Hill that may not be like any church experience you've had. These are just a few examples of how God has entered into my life and many of ours in this season in a way that maybe we haven't been looking for. So as we go into another week of Advent, I encourage you to continue being open to new ways that God is showing up in your life. I don't mean to say that God is hiding or being sneaky and waiting for us to find him because I don't think that God is like that. But I do mean to say that God may have fresh ways of inviting us into encounters with him. Maybe ways that we haven't considered before. Some of us may be entering into some Judges 6 and 7 Midian-sized struggles this season. How can I afford my medical bills? How can I live another night sleeping in a tent? How do I keep showing up for work when I am burnt out? How do I navigate my family dynamics this season? How do I, I mean, fill in the blank, right? There's so much that we are facing in our day-to-day And so this Advent season, let's take a moment to surrender these questions to God 
and to ask for help opening our, our eyes and hands and hearts and minds and everything to what God can be revealing to us. And let's remember together that God did the most unexpected thing to save us all by coming as a baby. A baby, we'll remember from Isaiah chapter 9, who would grow up to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace, who would uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So as we kind of wrap up, my hope is that you'll take a moment as we begin to shift into communion and continuing to worship, that you'll take a moment to just reflect on your own. What are some unexpected ways that God has shown up in your life? Could be this past week, could be throughout your whole life, however old you are. But what are some unexpected ways that God has shown up? And how did that impact your story? And what little nuggets in your life now can you look at as reminders of that time of God showing up for you? So we'll get ready. Justin will head up. We'll do our communion and continue to worship. And my hope is that uh, you'll spend some time reflecting on that. I'll go ahead and and pray and we'll move on. Jesus, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the rain and for making things grow. Jesus, thank you for coming down to earth in an unexpected way. And Jesus, thank you for continuing to show up in our lives um, in ways that we might not always be expecting ourselves. Jesus, I pray that we would be open to that and that we would learn more about who you are in the ways that you show up in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Val. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just walked us right into it. It's so good. (laughs) Walked us into that place of the unexpected catching us, especially in this season. This season is speaking to us, right, of, of one where I'm sure we've got it all together, right? It's two weeks to Christmas, everything's ready, no problems, just smooth sailing, right? It's, it's good to go. No? But Jesus meets us when it's not all together. Right, when we are in those places of distress. And so each week we come to this table remembering that it is an invitation again for us to surrender. We surrender because we're following the one who surrendered all of it on our behalf. The one who in the places of an expected warrior king to come and set all things right, to overcome oppression. Instead, Jesus enters into time and space as one who would take upon all of that oppression, not with a mighty force, but with a way of 
surrender. Surrender even unto death. And so we come to the table remembering that that is the way. In this season of busyness, in this life of busyness, when there are all of these things competing for our time and attention, we come to the table, we take the bread and the cup, and we're reminded of the simple way of Jesus that leads us to surrender again. So that's why we do this over and over again. We're in this rhythm of tasting and seeing, remembering the goodness of God that on our behalf, he would take on death and not just take it on, but he would overcome it. That we could have the fullness of life. That's why we step into this rhythm of waiting. Anybody like waiting? It's like a thing you look forward to. No, right? This, we have this rhythm of waiting. The season of Advent is intentional for us. It is a new start, a new beginning to the church calendar, to our rhythm of life that orients us to Jesus, to follow in the ways, to practice the ways of Jesus together. And so we come to the table and sometimes we come to the table in unexpected ways, like when the bread is still in a bag. <laughs> sometimes there are unexpected things, y'all, and God meets us there to slow us down. The bag is going to slow us down a minute, and that's okay. Maybe there's something in your heart that God is still trying to get your attention to say, surrender that thing. Give it to me. I've got it. Is there a thing for you today? Are there things in your life that God is inviting you to slow down, take the bread tie off the bag? Open it up and let me take this simple-looking thing and multiply it. And make it better than you can even imagine because there. That's not the case today. <laughs> the cup is full and it's ready for you. The reminder that Jesus allowed his body to be broken on your behalf and his blood to be shed on your behalf, for the forgiveness of sins, all of those things we try to hold on to, those things we want to hide in the darkness, God brings them in to his marvelous light that we can have the fullness of life today. So friends, our servers are ready. We're going to come down this side, break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, you can take it back to your seat with you. You can take it as, as you're walking. But take a few moments to slow down. Say, God, what is that thing? The thing that I feel like I need an army to overcome. And God says, actually, you just need to give it to me. And I've got you. Release it today into his hands.
to find freedom, and to find life abundant. So friends, we invite you to come taste and see that the Lord is good.